Amen. Kids on the rock, you guys can go. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 27. We're almost finished with the book of Acts. One more chapter after this one. We've walked through all 27 chapters, every word of the 27 chapters. And before that, we walked through every word of the book of John. On Wednesday nights, we walked through Genesis. We walked through Job. We're making our way through the whole counsel of God. It's an exciting thing to, uh, to get to do. And today, we're going to jump back into, actually, a sermon that we started last week. Uh, we're going to jump back into the middle. In Acts 27, Paul is, if you'll remember, a prisoner on a ship heading to Rome. Um, and the first thing that we made mention of last week as we began this chapter was a promise Jesus made Paul back in Acts 23, verse 22. It was there in Jerusalem when he was first arrested, when he was first taken into custody, um, that Jesus appeared to him in his cell in Acts 23, 22, and told Paul not to be afraid that you are going to Rome, that you're going to testify in Rome as you have testified in Jerusalem. And as we followed Paul through the trials before Governor Festus and Governor Felix and King Agrippa and all that, that promise was always in the background. You're going to get to Rome. And it, was, uh, it seemed like it was coming to pass. It is coming to pass. When we started Acts 27, now he's actually on his way to Rome. He's on a ship on his way to Rome. Of course, he is a prisoner, uh, but he's at least on his way to Rome. And in the beginning of Acts 27, we followed Paul on this sea voyage, and we looked at everything that worked against him. He's doing God's will. He's on his way where God told him to go. He's being faithful, but it looked like everything was against him. We saw the wind oppose the ship at every turn. I mean, God, can you, can you not turn the wind off? I mean, you told me to go. I'm going. Then we saw Paul give wise advice to the sailors of the ship and the soldiers, telling them not to continue this journey through the dangerous winter months. And his counsel was ignored, and they set sail anyway. It seemed like he's at the mercy of other people's bad decisions when he's trying to do what is right. And because they wouldn't listen to him and they set sail anyway, we saw last week that he got caught in this violent storm. The ship is caught in this storm, and it's pushing them all over the place. And when we looked at that, our first point of application last week was that God's promise doesn't mean an easy journey for you. It doesn't mean everything's going to come up roses all the time and there's going to be no obstacles, no hindrances, no difficulties whatsoever. God's promise doesn't mean an easy journey. And then we saw in verse 20, if you have Acts 27 open in front of you, you can look down to verse 20. We saw there that after the crew had done all that they knew to do, they were tying the ship off and, and scrambling around, doing all the things that they knew to do. In verse 20, it said they gave up all hope that they were ever going to be delivered from this, that they would ever be saved from this. They basically resolved, everyone on the ship, that we're going to die. We're going to die in this, in this uh, storm. And then that led us to our second point, which was, that God's promise is our only anchor in the storm. And we looked at what Paul held on to as everybody else had given up hope, as everybody else said, well, we're going to die, we're not going to make it through this. In verses 21 through 26, we saw what Paul held on to. Paul told them that an angel of God that night had appeared to him 
and said, not only did he reaffirm the promise that you're going to get to Rome, but God told him that he was granting all of the lives of the people that sailed with Paul to him, meaning no life would be lost. God told him not one single life is going to be lost on this journey, but you are going to lose the ship. The ship is going to run aground. And we ended last week um, with Paul's dramatic statement of faith as they're in the midst of this storm. It was in verse 25 where he tells the men, Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. So what we did was we looked at the anchor Paul was holding on to in the midst of this, and it was the Word of God, the promise of God. I have faith that it's going to be exactly as I have been told. So despite the circumstances, despite the opposition, despite what he seems to be at the mercy of, whether wind or people's bad decisions, or what past experiences may tell them in the midst of a storm like this, all the experienced sailors are without hope. Paul knows God's word, God's promise stands over all, and that's what he is holding on to in the midst of this storm. So as we continue through the rest of the chapter, what we're going to see is just this incredible contrast between Paul's actions and the rest of the people on the ship. And the reason is why is because Paul holds on to God's promise. So let's read verses 27 through verse 38, and we'll stop there and take the rest in a moment. It says in verse 27, When the fourteenth night had come, Paul just told them, An angel of God appeared to me. He said, We're going to all live. God's granted all the people that sail with me. He's told them no life is going to be lost. And then the next thing we see in verse 27, When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven driven across the Adriatic Sea, um, in the first century, the western part and central part of the Mediterranean was called the Adria. That's why it's translated Adriatic Sea there. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes and the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when, they had, when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat, out, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Let's pray real quick. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your word. We ask, God, that you would speak to us today. We're here to hear your, uh, your word in our hearts. We're not here to hear a history lesson or a seafaring lesson. God, I pray that you would just speak to us and that you would apply this to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read that text, the beginning of the whole text that we're going to look at, in Paul we see one who is, I mean, just seemingly at peace while this storm rages all around him. 
You see, see one who is at peace and it's easy to see while the other people are terrified around him. But what we're going to learn here is, is we look at this text is that God's promise is our only peace in the storm. And that, that sounds a little obvious. I know it sounds a little mundane. It almost sounds like the same point of application we had before, that God's promise is our only anchor in the storm. But as we look at this, what I want you to see is that the peace that we're talking about today, that we see in Paul, it may not mean what you think it means as you're going through the storms of your life. So they've been in this storm for several days. <clears throat> Paul has just told them that God has told him that no life is going to be lost. And now in verse 27, we fast forward two weeks. It says, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms, a little further, 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So for two weeks, they've been driven by this storm all over the Mediterranean Sea. And then in the middle of the night, the sailors, the crew, the ones manning the ship, operating the ship, begin to suspect that they're approaching land. We're not told how they suspected. Maybe they heard the water breaking on those rocks. We don't really know for sure. But they suspected it. They, they took soundings, which entailed just dropping a weight with a, a rope tied to measure the, measure the ground underwater. And they confirmed that they're approaching land. And they were approaching it very quickly in the dark, in the middle of the night. Now, in the darkness, they didn't have spotlights. They didn't have floodlights like we do today. They can't see anything. They can't steer the ship to a safe place in order to beach it. You know, who knows what hazards out there, what rocks, what reefs, what anything's out there and they can't see it. So what they did, they decided to let down four anchors just to stop the ship and just wait for daylight. And then we'll decide what we need to do and which way we need to navigate. So they waited for when they would be able to see what this land looked like and then they can navigate there. Now, it's hard for us to understand the danger of this situation that they're in. The only thing keeping them from dying right this moment, as the wind and the waves are pushing the ship and smashing against the ship, are these four ropes tied to anchors. And who knows if they'll hold. But you get a sense of the danger when you see how the sailors, the crew, the people who operate the ship, how they responded. It said, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship... They lowered the ship's boat in the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. So the sailors, the crew that's manning the ship, the only ones able to operate the ship, they're trying to get off the boat. They're terrified of staying on board. They don't think there's any hope of surviving this at all. Maybe the anchors won't hold, but even when daylight comes, what's out there? I don't know. Is it just a big line of rocks? Is it, are we going to be able to navigate around to beach the ship properly? Are we, are we going to survive any of this? They would rather take their chances in the little rowboat, the little lifeboat, rowing slowly to the shore. And they certainly don't trust the word of this guy, Paul, who's been seeing angels this whole trip. They're in self-protection mode. They pretend to be letting down some anchors so everybody doesn't know what they're doing. There's not enough room on this little boat for everybody. 
But they're really just going to sneak away and leave the soldiers and the prisoners and all the people on board just to fend for themselves. You know, they're, they're just going to die. There's nobody left to run the boat. Now, it's easy to see the, I don't know, the, the lack of peace, I guess, in these sailors. They're terrified. They're terrified of what's going to happen. But when you see Paul's response, it's not usually what we think of as peace in the midst of the storm. Paul understands what these sailors are up to. It says in verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, notice who he's talking to, the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So Paul understands what the sailors are doing, what these guys are trying to do in escaping, and he informs the centurion. And look what he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. Hang on. God said not a single life would be lost. We read that in verse 21 through 26. God told Paul through an angel, and Paul told everybody on the ship, God has granted your lives. Nobody's going to be lost. We are going to lose the ship. And now we still know God's promises are true. God's promises are certain. But now Paul says, well, if they get off the boat, you can't be saved. You can't be delivered. You can't, your life's not going to be saved is what he means. So does, does Paul suddenly now doubt the promise of God if, if they happen to get off this boat? Does he, does he doubt that God is able to keep his promise? Well, of course not. But Paul also knows that God's promise doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We're still called to act with wisdom. We're still called to act with common sense and biblical principles. The sailors need to stay on the ship because they're the only ones who know how to drive the ship. They're the only ones who know how to navigate whatever hazards out there when, when dawn comes. There are some that take Paul's statement here to mean, well, the angel must have stipulated that everyone's got to stay on the boat to survive. And that's possible, I guess, but I don't think so. Look at what the text actually says. So often we read through these things and we think we know what they say. We've heard the story before and we miss what it actually says. Paul doesn't say, well, now anybody who gets off the ship can't be saved. As if staying on the boat is a condition of the promise. Look at what he says. He says to the centurion and the soldiers, the ones who are staying on the ship. He says, if these other guys get off, you who are staying on the ship can't be saved. Now, Paul has peace and faith in, the, in God's promises. We, we've seen it in, before now, and we've seen it as the text that we read a moment ago. But that doesn't mean that he's passive in just doing you know, nothing. It doesn't mean he's passive in doing what's best in the moment. Paul knows that they need the crew of the ship to crew the ship. He knows they need the sailors. They're the only ones who know how to operate the ship. They're necessary to run this ship aground safely. So as we examine what peace in the storm looks like, oftentimes we think of you know, all the trials and tribulations raging around us and we're just laying on a hammock eating grapes, you know, just not worried about anything. No, peace in the storm, make sure you see it. It doesn't mean that we're passive, that we do nothing, that we don't think, that we don't act, that we don't plan, that we don't prepare. Paul doesn't say, 
Well, these sailors are getting off the boat, but, you know, God promised we'd all live, so don't worry about it. It's all good. Do what you want to do. We're not going to worry about it. Let's just all relax. Come on, let's play gin rummy. He doesn't say anything. He's not passive. He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't let go and let God. He trusts in the promise of God. He has peace that this promise will come to pass, and he acts with wisdom and initiative as the situation presents itself. Paul understands what we have seen in every chapter of the book of Acts that we have walked through. God is accomplishing His purposes and His will through providence, which is the ordinary actions of people and events of this life. So having peace in the midst of the storm, trusting the promise of God, it doesn't mean that we're just laid out on the beach somewhere, not thinking about anything, not doing anything. It doesn't mean we're passive or inactive. It doesn't mean we do nothing and just hope for the best. In fact, it's just the opposite. We do strive. We do act. We do use wisdom and good judgment. Why? Because we trust in the promise of God. And in the same way, peace in the storm doesn't mean that we don't plan and we don't prepare. Look at what it says in verse 33. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. As dawn is about to come, safely beaching the ship, safely running it aground, is going to take a lot of work. I didn't do a whole lot of study on ancient seafaring, but you've probably seen movies with those old wooden ships, you know, you got to hoist the ropey thing and you got to do all the stuff, you know. You gotta, it takes a lot of work. It's not just push, pushing buttons and steering a wheel. It takes a lot of work to man these ships. So, so Paul prepares them for what is coming. He says, you guys need to eat. It's been 14 days. And verse 34 is particularly interesting to me. He says, I urge you to take some food. For it will give you strength, is what the ESV says. The Greek text literally says, for it is to your salvation. It is to your deliverance. I.e., it's, it's necessary for you to be delivered. And look at the reason he wants them to eat, because it's necessary for them to be delivered, because for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Paul is obviously trusting in the promise. He can tell them beforehand, not a hair of your head is going to perish. But at the same time, he knows that in order to be ready for the work that is ahead, when dawn comes, they got to eat. they got to have strength. Eating in the strength that comes from it will be needed for their deliverance, needed for their salvation, if you will. Now, the promise of God is sure. Not a hair of your head will perish, he says. But that doesn't mean that you don't prepare yourself for the work ahead. That doesn't mean you don't prepare yourself for what's coming tomorrow when we have to beach this ship. And then you see this, this piece of Paul displayed as he models this before all of them. In verse 35, it says, And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then... They all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. And it says there's 276 people on the ship. And when they had eaten, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. <clears throat> now look at this scene. 
Everyone on the crew now, everyone on the boat now, knows that the crew, the sailors, just tried to jump ship and leave them for dead. They know that the people who are experienced in doing this kind of thing, trained to do this kind of thing, think it's hopeless. And also remember, the storm's still going on. It's still raging. It's still bashing against the, against the boat. The wind's still blowing. The rain's still coming down. And in the middle of this chaotic scene where there's distrust among all these people and the storm is still raging, we don't know if the anchors are going to hold, we don't know what's out there that we're going to have to navigate around in order to save our lives. In the middle of all this, Paul models this peace and faith before them by eating the meal himself. And not only that, but in the midst of the storm, he gives thanks to God for the bread they're about to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a picture of faith in my mind. It's a picture of resting in God's will with all of this chaos everywhere. All of this danger, all of this uncertainty. God, thank you for this bread that you've given us that we're about to eat. In the middle of this boat being tossed around, secured only by four ropes, he's thanking God for the bread. That is a peace that passes understanding, for sure. And that peace, that, that trust in the Lord, it encourages the people around them. You see what it says? In verse 36, then they all were encouraged and they ate food themselves. It encourages all of them and they eat. And then they all get together and they throw the rest of their food out of the boat. They're lightening the ship as much as they can to ride high and so they can beach the ship. And so they'll be ready. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen tomorrow. We're getting off this boat one way or the other. Don't need the food. So make sure that you understand this peace and trust in the promises of God. It doesn't mean we don't act. It doesn't mean we don't prepare. It doesn't mean we don't make decisions. It doesn't mean we don't use wisdom that God has given us. No, having faith... And peace in the midst of the storm means just the opposite. It means we do act. We use wisdom in what we're doing. We use wisdom in how we plan and how we prepare. And we do this because we trust in the promise of God. We live out our faith as Paul did before them all. We live out our faith before those around us because God's promises are sure. And we know that God is using our actions, our decisions, the circumstances, the events, the trials, the storms, all of it to accomplish His will. God's providence is working. If, that, if there's one thing you've seen in the book of Acts as we've gone from chapter 1 to now, it's that God is working in all things, bringing His will to pass. And because of that, we can say, no matter what the trial, no matter what the circumstances, that God's promise is always faithful. His word is always true. It says, now when it was day, when day finally broke, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. It's still going to take a lot of work. They still got to navigate around the rocks and all the stuff. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time, they loosening the ropes that tied the rudders so they could steer, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, which would make them go, they made for the beach. 
So later we find out this island is called, it's, it's the island of Malta. So they, day breaks and they go. They're doing all the things they need to do. And honestly, when you read 39 and 40, there's almost like a, I don't know, a, a sense of, well, okay, everything's going to be all right. All systems are go. You know, they do all this stuff. They cast off the anchors, loosen the rudders, do all the things they need to do. And it's, it just seems like there's hope in the air now, you know? After all these weeks of hopelessness and despair and, and thinking that they're, di- they're going to die and there's no way out and all this, now it seems like you just get the feeling that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. See, it feels like, well, well finally, we can do this. We're going to make it. And just when that feeling, probably it doesn't say it in the text, but just when that feeling starts to, okay, they hit another obstacle. No, you can't do this. Verse 41, it says, But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern, the back part of the ship, was being broken up as the waves were crashing into it. Still a violent storm. Just when you finally thought you were going to get a break, you hit a sandbar or a reef. You know, that literally the text says they struck a place between two seas. So the front of the ship sticks. The rear of the ship is breaking up. The boat is literally coming apart under their feet. They thought, oh, we got it. We got it. We can do this. And now all of a sudden it's breaking up underneath them. But, you know, there's at least a possibility that they could still make it. You know, maybe they're close enough to the island or close enough to the land that they can just swim for it. And then another issue arises which threatens the promise of God. Last text we'll read today, it says, The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest of the, on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was, this is how, they were all brought safely to land. So if all 276 people have to swim for it, the Roman soldiers are not going to be able to ensure that all these prisoners don't escape, especially when they reach land. It's every man for himself. So they decide the best thing to do is just kill everybody. I mean, why risk it? Just like the sailors earlier, the soldiers are now in self-preservation mode. If a Roman soldier lost a prisoner, that soldier would suffer the punishment given to the prisoner, so, which often meant death. So protect, to protect themselves, their plan would just kill everybody. And we're all saved. It's all good. I mean, not you, but I'll be saved. At this point, it's not the wind, it's not the storm, it's not the elements, it's not the sea, it's not any of those things that threaten God's promise. It's the soldiers themselves. If they go through with their plan, God's promise is null and void. Remember, he said no life would be lost. Not even the prisoners. So in this moment, what's going to happen quickly is God will protect his promise. But notice how he does it. He doesn't strike the soldiers dead. He doesn't send angels to transport them to safety. He doesn't even quiet the storm like Jesus did for the disciples in the Gospels. 
He doesn't remove any of them from the trial or the tribulation of this or the storm. He doesn't do any of that. He protects His promise the same way that He has guided this journey all the way along through His providence, the normal everyday actions, decisions, and events of this life. It is simply the decision of this centurion that saves their lives. Now, this centurion's obviously grown fond of Paul, and he stops them from killing him. But we don't really know why. I mean, I have a theory, and I'll share it with you if you want, but we don't know why. But honestly, the centurion could have ordered that all the soldiers kill all the prisoners except Paul if he wanted to. Why just save Paul? Why not just save Paul? Why, why save all these people? So, uh, Mr. Centurion, why risk your soldiers' lives? Why risk your men to save these people who, in, let's face it, in that day and age and to this centurion really are of no consequence? Why not just let them kill everybody and then nobody's at risk? You save your bud, Paul, and all, everything's good. We don't know why. I don't know why, but whatever the reason, God uses the decision of this pagan Roman centurion to bring his promise to pass. The whole episode that we see in chapter 27 shows us the power of God providentially working all things according to the counsel of his will. God used Paul's wisdom to keep the crew on board. God used the meal to strengthen the men to be able to operate the ship when the time came. God used Paul's example and his prayer to encourage them, uh, to give them the encouragement to eat and have the strength to do all these things. God used the centurion's decision to save their lives. And now, as they all abandon ship, God has brought His promise to pass. In verse 44, it says, All were brought safely to land. Despite impossible circumstances, despite impossible obstacles, God's Word is faithful. He is able to keep His promises. Now we read that and we think, well, of course. I mean, of course. We're reading a Bible story. Of course God kept His Word. First, it's historical. It's not just a story. And second, the point of this long section, chapter 27, of this, this ship voyage and the shipwreck, dealing with every obstacle and every event through this journey to Rome, is to show us what trusting Jesus' word looks like when trials and sufferings go on and on and on, even when you are being faithful, as Paul is doing here. God doesn't miraculously deliver Paul from the storm. God doesn't take away the turmoil, the tribulation, the circumstances. God doesn't, God doesn't zap the Roman soldiers when they make the wrong decision. Even though Paul is not Jonah, he's not, he's not being unfaithful. God doesn't still the trial and the storm. Yet God has promised Paul in this instance, you're going to get to Rome. God's promised to, in, to, to be with him, to persevere him through this trial. And God's promised the same to us. God hasn't promised that our physical lives will be saved. There will come a day when we will pass away, as did Paul, to go to be with the Lord. But He has promised us all things work together for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. He has promised us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He has promised us that we have an inheritance, undefiled, doesn't fade away, kept in heaven for us. He's given us His very 
word, his promise. Through the trials of this life, through the situations, the events, the decisions of other people, through all the things that, that go on in our lives that seem that we're at the mercy of, I will bring you safely home. There's coming a day when all things will be made right, when there's no more sin and no more curse of the fall, when there's a, a new heavens and a new earth, and we live eternally with no more fear, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering as it was intended to be in the garden. I could take you to the last chapter of Revelation and show you the exact same language used there as used in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. The tree of life is there. It'll be healing for the nations. The river that flowed out of Eden will flow out of the throne of God. His people will be there and they will worship Him. They will serve Him. We will be eternally alive. I often tell people, we think about eternity, new heavens, new earth. We think about this. We often got this wrong view that we're all going to be fat little angels with diapers on, plucking harps and stuff. That don't sound appealing to me. Not at all. You're going to be who you are for all eternity. Except without sin, without a fallen nature, without pain, without parting, without suffering, without all of the things that characterize this world. We have perfect and precious promises. We have perfect promises that God is going to bring us safely home if we are in Christ. But until that day, when we are in the presence of the one our soul loves, we're called to be on mission. That's what the book of Acts is about. We're called to be witnesses where He has placed us. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the utter ends of the earth. We're called to be His witnesses in whatever circumstances He places us in, in whatever trial, in whatever storm, in whatever He places us in. And we can face all things with peace in Christ. Doesn't mean that we don't strive. Doesn't mean we don't plan. Doesn't mean we don't prepare. Doesn't mean we don't work. But in Christ, we're free. We're free from the worry of this life, the turmoil of this life. We're going to endure it, but we know there's a day coming. There's a day coming. We know that He is in control. We know that He paid for our sin. We know that no matter what happens in this life, His promises are faithful. His word is sure. That peace doesn't mean we stop striving, but it means that through all of our service, through all of our life, through all of our witness, through all of our storms, through all of our trials... He will bring us home. The battle is being fought every single day of our lives in this life. But this war right here has already been won. And it's over. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only question for us today is not, will I make it through this storm? The question is, am I in Christ? As we have also seen in Acts, there are many who profess Christ that don't possess Christ. Many who have walked down an aisle when you were a kid, repeated a prayer because you were scared, that have no new heart that God has promised, have not been born again, have no desire to follow Christ or love Christ. I'm not saying you're sinless, none of us are. But this heart that desires Him, if that's you today, today is the day of salvation. You can trust in Jesus, that invitation, that call, that command.
to repent of your sin and believe the gospel that Jesus gave in the first chapter of Mark, that's for you. Trust in Jesus. Give him your heart and life and claim these perfect promises. I will never leave you or forsake you. All things work together for good. I'll supply your every need according to my riches and glory. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen, according to the Apostle Paul. Trust in Jesus today. Trust in Jesus today. Be born again and claim these promises, which are certain. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you would help us to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. As we've walked through almost the entirety of the book of Acts, we've seen the early church and the the witness that they bore and how they bore it and the trials that they went through, God. And behind it all, what we've been looking at is not just the acts of the apostles. We've looked at the acts of Jesus Christ by His Spirit through the apostles. God, I pray that you would give us the realization that the reality is that 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 is still going on today. You are still working through your people. God, help us to be on mission for you and to keep our eyes focused on you, even in the storms of this life that we surely will go through. Help it to mold us and to make us the witnesses you've called us to be, God. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would call upon them today, that you would show them their sin today, that you would show them that there's no work, no goodness, no behavior that they can modify that will save them from the wrath to come. But you have given that salvation freely as a gift in the death, the burial, the resurrection of your son. Help them to see that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation will be saved. God, and I pray that they would call upon you, that they would repent of their sin, that they would trust in you, entrust their hearts and lives to you. God, and be forgiven. Enlarge your kingdom today and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand right down here. If you want to come, I'd be happy to pray with you or talk to you some more. Give your heart and life to Christ. Will you stand with me?